good evening guys thank you so much uh, uh, for joining uh, please uh, give us a few minutes as uh, we wait for an additional one of our panelists and guests to join uh, then i give the other guys uh, hopefully additional time to join i will be kicking this off in the next uh, four minutes so as you wait for that to happen i'm very happy to see a lot of our familiar names here so hoping that uh, this is going to be a very interactive uh, and uh, educative session so do not mind uh, do not mind me or the podcaster if you don't listen or hear a lot of uh, dialogue or discussion are happening uh, it's just because we are waiting for additional guys to join but most importantly uh, waiting for one of our guests uh, to actually join in okay i see all of my guests are finally in so i'm just going to allow them to sp- invite them to speak and uh, we can kick this off so it said uh, we are going to start in the next 4 minutes uh, exactly at 5 minutes past 6 uh, is east africa time i see we still have a few more 2 minutes to kill so we'll actually uh, do that Uh, please, uh, I will appreciate if you could RT uh, repost uh, like uh, so that uh, additional guys who wanted to be part of this are actually aware and notify that we have actually started. So any, well, any retweet, uh, retweets uh, will highly be appreciated. Okay, and we should be able to start. So once again, hello, good morning, good afternoon. good evening uh, from wherever you are tuning in and listening in uh, thank you so much once again for creating the time to be a part of this and i would like to officially welcome you to true positives a conversation that matter and uh, i will be your guest uh, my name is uh, Lawrence Michelo uh, today i'm going to be joined or yes actually joined by two amazing people uh, guys uh, who have been at the bleeding edge when it comes to uh, threat emulation, uh, offensive operation. And by bleeding edge, I mean guys within this space, within the country, who are actually innovating and trying to figure out amazing, mind-blowing ways in regards to how can we get access into your systems, into your network, and then using that particular knowledge to teach others. This is how hackers work. and this is how you can go ahead uh protect yourself and uh, detect them i'll be giving them an opportunity to introduce uh, themselves uh before they do that i'll just love to give a bit of a context uh, in regards to what this podcast uh, is all about specifically uh, this specific uh, episode uh, for guys who are new uh, this is our third episode so the first episode coincidentally we tackled the naivas breach second episode uh, we did a bit on our mentorship this third one will be talking about and discussing uh, what i'm calling game of nations uh, basically this was triggered by the uh, reuters report that was published i believe a few weeks ago in which they claim that uh, certain aspects of the kenyan cyberspace has been compromised uh, by hackers from uh, china or affiliated to the chinese government and have been looking into a few things here and there around our data collection and all that when a few of us 
actually the majority of us who work research in this space were having this discussion. We went through that report and a lot of question marks were raised like how? Why will someone, why will you go to all those lengths to steal information that you're already aware of? It doesn't make sense. So part of this, uh, we'll be discussing that. Uh, that. And uh, I, I have a feeling some of the guys who actually contributed or uh, guys who are interviewed by the routers, a uh, team, are part of this call. A full disclosure, I know at one point uh, someone from, is it routers or routers? But I'll, I'll go with routers. Someone from routers actually reached out to me in regards to just trying to have an understanding of uh, the cybersecurity landscape in Kenya, what's been happening, so on uh, and so forth. So for me, it's important to fully disclose that and know that. I don't know if I was if I influenced the final report, but I know for a fact that uh, I, I was contacted and I was able to sh share a few things uh, here and there based on uh, what I've seen in the industry. So <clears throat> that has done context. I'm going to bring us back to something some of us might be aware, some might not be aware, but the National Cybersecurity Strategy. Uh, this was launched, if I'm not mistaken, either early this year or sometime late last year uh, by our former, uh, the, our former president or the Ke Kenyan former Kenya, former president, uh, uh, His Excellency uh, Uhuru Kenyatta. I can't believe I'm using His Excellency. Yeah, well, he was a former president, so uh, he deserves the, the respect that comes with uh, the presidency uh, office. So I, I'm just actually going to quote something, uh, to quote part of his speech, which can be found in the National Cybersecurity Strategy. So it basically says, uh, Cyberspace, with its unlimited borders, has therefore become the most active threat domain, providing cyber threats with unparalleled opportunities to harm our nation. Kenya, like many countries, is now exposed to dangers posed by foreign and domestic cyber criminals who are state and non-state actors. Very key, very key. The government is recognizing that when we talk of cyber criminals, we have state and non-state actors. Hold that thought, it's a keyword. One of our guests, or actually both of them will be sharing, uh, hopefully uh, differentiating why we need to be worried or not worried about state and non-state actors. Who are they, what are their motivation, or what, they, what are they after? So just to pick up, so Kenya, like many countries, is uh, now exposed to dangers posed by foreign and uh, domestic cyber criminals who are state and non-state actors, capable of disrupting provision of essential services, engaging in espionage, and uh, threatening safety and uh, security of our nation. I'm not saying it was a hack. Remember, we have had critical services in the country going down. Uh, unfortunately, KPLC has been the main target for this. Once in a while, you have seen Safaricom going down. Once in a while, you have also seen multiple banks having coordinated outages or maintenance period. So at times, when you read uh, between the lines, you can always detect uh, anomalies that are, are happening out there. Now, <clears throat> going to another section of uh, our national cybersecurity strategy, it says, 
Kenya established the Kenya Computer Incident Response Team and Coordination Center, or KESAT, and the National Digital Forensics Laboratory at the National Police, uh, Police Service under Directorate of Criminal Investigation. Let me break this down. As a country, we have a Computer Incident Response Team and Coordination Center. What this basically means is that there is a, a government-funded funded entity that you can actually report to uh, computer incidents. So someone has hacked you, government has an office to do that. Tell them so-and-so hacked me and uh, friendly guys uh, interacting with them, they will try as much as possible uh, to help you. Then, uh, for those not in the know, uh, we now have a national digital forensic laboratory at uh, Jamamambaru or at, the, at our Directorate of Criminal Investigation, at DCI. Uh, we might, all of us, probably have varying opinions on this. But I believe recently there was um, a grab and snatch case on Twitter where I believe uh, four ladies of European uh, descent, one of them was uh, assaulted by a thief, and uh, I, I believe a bag was uh, snatched. It took the DCI... I believe uh, less than a month to actually identify this specific person who participated in that particular crime, Digital Forensics Laboratory. If you lose your MPESA money via weird ways, if your Facebook account is hacked, anything digital, it's actually going to launch to happen at the National Digital Forensics Laboratory. Now, why is this important? I believe <coughs> before the lab was launched, most of so before the lab was launched, there was definitely a capacity issue. Without a lab, law enforcement could not do thorough investigation. So what happens? A lot of these investigations tend to be outsourced to private third party bodies to do those particular investigations. In the long run, that really becomes very expensive for the government and for the respective police services. And the ripple effect for this is just speculating. When cost is too high, then a lot of there will be a lot of backlog cases because the government just won't have money to pay these specific third party uh, services uh, for them to do their uh, investigation. So, so we have those three key bodies uh, that you should be aware of: uh, the Kenya Computer Incident Response Team and Coordination Center, uh, our National Digital Forensics Laboratory at the DCI. Now, because government works in very interesting ways, uh, you always actually not interesting ways. Government works as a government. A lot of the things that government does, uh, they need to be supported by regulation. Otherwise, enforcement becomes an issue, litigation, which basically means you being able, someone being able to take you to court and uh, based on a crime that has occurred. So to support these, uh, uh, we currently have, and this has been enacted, the Computer Misuse and Cybercrime Act uh, 2018 that actually lays the legal framework for prosecution and just for, from a law enforcement point of view, even from a citizen point of view, tells you what and probably what you don't need to do. And if you do what you're not meant to do, uh, these are the repercussions. I'm going to mention one last body the National Computer and Cybercrime Coordination Committee, NC4. 
and the Secretariat. Now, the NC4 is basically a national authority to spearhead and coordinate cybersecurity matters. Now, why is NC4 uh, important? <clears throat> and why are we adding for crying out loud? Uh, why are we adding another body? Here's why. The NC4 is a coordination committee. And this committee comp uh, comprises of the princip principal secretary in charge of internal security. I believe, no, I, I'm not sure if that is Professor Kindiki. Don't know. But yes, NC4 has a principal secretary in charge of internal security, principal secretary in charge of ICT, the attorney general, uh, the chief of uh, chief of the Kenya Defense Forces, uh, inspector general of the National Police Service, director general, uh, NIS, National Intelligence Service, if I'm not mistaken, director general, CA, uh, that is the communication authority, then director of public prosecutions, the DPP, governor, CBK, and director of NC4 secretariat. Now, NC4 is meant to be, as Kenyans, will say and guys was old in this case i will say nc4 is meant to be babayao that all nc4 is a i believe even five podcasts are on its own but they are doing amazing job are doing a lot of amazing groundwork and uh, our future is bright now to wrap this up the government of kenya and and i'm picking this from uh, the national strategy so the national cybersecurity strategy. So the government of Kenya will spearhead its responsibility of defending the Republic of Kenya's cyberspace from all threats to protect citizens, the economy from harm, and to establish domestic and international frameworks to safeguard national interest, protect fundamental rights, and prosecute offenders. So that should lay a very good context and background in regards to why we are doing this. Uh, when we talk of uh, cybersecurity, certain corners or certain, yeah, actual certain corners will always tell you, Lawrence, the best defense is, wait, wait, the best, yes, the best offense is the best defense. So attacking, well, uh, defending. Additional context. In this, everything I've said basically means the government is looking at this cybersecurity not just from, from a way bigger level, a higher level, and trying to see, look, how do we protect the nation? How do you protect the common mwananchi? And what, that, what does this imply? You only start worrying uh, about protecting things when you know there are people actively trying to get in. There are people actively trying to take advantage or undermine something that you hold dear. So when you talk of Game of Nations, it's not something new. It's something that has been happening. It's something that governments are aware and are proactively engaging in different ways of defending uh, the nations. When you talk of defending the nations, uh, and I'm hoping one of my guests today will share more about this, uh, we talk of what? Uh, we typically talk of uh, four domains, if I'm not wrong. So defend, you defend the air, we have the Kenya Air Force. Defend the land, we have the Kenya Army. Uh, defend the sea, we have uh, Kenya Navy Services. Defend 
oh, th there's actually space, defense space, which is not cyberspace, space. Uh, developed countries, I believe, like the US have a, a, a space force, if I'm not mistaken. Then there's also cyberspace. And now you'll hear things like cyber war, uh, Russia, US, uh, Ukraine, China, some of these developed nations have been, have leveraged cyber warfare to advance their own uh, national interest and foreign policy. Whew, man, that was a mouthful. Mouthful. With that, I would like to welcome our guest, uh, Jacques Labu. Uh, thank you so much uh, for creating the time to be part of this. Uh, I know you're doing an amazing thing. So I would like just to give you time to introduce yourselves, uh, briefly mention uh, what you do, then I'll lead this up from a question and QA point of view. So I'm inviting you to speak. If you're having challenges with that, please uh, let me know. For our guests, as always, if you have questions, please post them in the chat. I'll try my best to respond to all of them. And as always, this podcast will be is being recorded and will be available on our True Positive podcast. Available on Google po Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Music, and a few others. Chats, I see already a speaker, so please... I feel free to unmute and uh, take this away. No problem. Thank you so much for the invite. Uh, I'm Chucks. Uh, that's the name people give me from the name Gishoke. Uh, the problem is that most of the people I was working with overseas wouldn't say Gishoke, so it went all the way from Chooks to Chucks. So that's what people call me. Uh, I do cyber, so I'm just, uh, I love cyber. It's actually like my, my main uh, hobby. So it's not work to me. It's something I do like every day, it's something I breathe and uh, dream about every day. So uh, that's why I am. Uh, Shaks, uh, thank you so much. Uh, Labo, I don't know if you can hear us. Most likely he has a mic problem. I <laughs> uh, know, so I switch for Labo. Shaks, I think Labu, uh, we can, can start kill, off. You can kill teams. Teams, I know it kills other programs. Just kill teams and join in. <laughs> uh, so Shaks, I'm guessing uh, we should be able to start with you. I'm also seeing a lot of familiar faces who I know <clears throat> they're involved in that all space of uh, cybersecurity, looking at APTs, are uh, doing research. So guys, uh, if you want to share your thoughts, a uh, comment, please, I just request to, to talk and uh, more than happy to uh, make it, uh, enable you. So Jacques, man, uh, yeah. <laughs> I know you have a lot to share. So first thing I would like you to do, small favor. Yep, yeah. Please some of the terms you are going to talk or mention. <laughs> so things like Signet, uh, OSINT, HUMNIT, so that guys can just, we can prepare them. Please feel free to clear the session. All right. Uh, um, I'm so used to talk because uh, I usually do a lot of trainings and uh, a lot of meetings with people who are in uh, military and intelligence services. Uh, so... Uh, and almost, I also read a lot. Like, uh, if you look at my kiddo, it has more than uh, my tablets and my and my my iPad. It have like thousands and thousands of books in them because I like reading uh, a lot of this stuff. Because this is actually one of my my main things. So I kind of uh, I've got so used speaking military language and inter intelligence language when I'm dealing with doing cyber. 
and I'll try my best to make sure that I uh, do the full name for everything uh, I pry with whenever I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm exp explaining something. So it's actually true that it's, uh, right now the domain software and intelligence operations are conduct are actually five. That means uh, land, air, space, and information. Uh, before we used to call it cyber, this is we call it information because of uh, other things which came up like uh, Twitter and uh, other social media and other things that people use online. So this, this is actually called uh, the information domain. Uh, yeah, I'll try to explain to actually ask and uh, make sure that uh, I specify the whole name, uh, the whole meaning for each acronym that we we push during the discussion. Please, I think I see Labu is back. <clears throat> Labu, if you could grace us with a, just a brief intro. Uh, who you are, what you do, that will be appreciated. Hi, uh, can you hear me? Yes, we can. All right. Apologies for that earlier. I had to leave and uh, connect. I had uh, Chuck's jokes about teams. So, yeah, <laughs> one of those situations. Uh, good good morning, good evening, good afternoon, good night, wherever you've joined us from. Thank you very much, uh, Lawrence, for having us here. My name is Amajit Laburam. Uh, most people know me as Labu. Uh, by profession, as Chuck said, uh, we have similar passions as Chuck's. I'm also in the cyberspace. Uh, I focus a lot more on the offensive uh, side of operations. So my interest in how uh, threat actors operate uh, in a granular level leads me to discovery of new tactics and opportunities to always constantly learn offensive skills. So that's why uh, I'm like uh, Chuck's in the, in the same field in terms of getting interest in what nation states do so that we can better defend as you so open uh said so in the opening remarks uh with that i'll hand over back to you lawrence thank you uh thank you so much Alabu. uh back to you when you talk of threat actors and when you talk of apts uh, we talk of uh, state versus non-state actors uh, could you just please shed more light into that uh, for guys who are not uh, in that specific domain Yes, thank you, Lawrence, for that, because uh, it's actually a very key uh, distinction between what a uh, nation-state actor is and uh, because they're all categorized as threat actors. So there's usually distinctly put into two categories. One would be a nation-state-based uh, threat actor who are more interested in intelligence gathering, which I know Chucks is more uh, inclined to understand their operations because that's where he's been uh, having more experience uh, over the years. Then, of course, there's also the financially motivated threat actors. So these are now your ransomware gangs who are more interested in... Uh, they, some of them may be nation-state-sponsored, but their objective, which is now what matters in this context, is they're more financially motivated, not intelligence gathering. So these are the guys who may come in as soon as they can exploit some vulnerability, gain some form of uh, control over as ma many assets as they can, then roll out some form of encryption to, uh, you know, uh, then threaten you for financially for either uh, sort of, if they've done exfiltration of data, maybe exposing that data publicly, like you've heard with the Medusa case against uh, Kenya Airports Authority. So, yeah, that's uh, pretty much what the two uh, threat actor groups are, um, or rather categories are there. Uh, and add uh, something on it as well? Yes, please. 
Thank you, Labu. Uh, now, um, threat actors, there are two types of threat actors. There's AP and Fin Group. Fin Groups are the ones who are coming after your money. They will try everything they can do, including uh, trying to go after your credit cards. Uh, they will try to go after your M-Pesa. They will try to go after your uh, banking information, all that stuff. They will try to even somewhere you or even uh, do wire transfers from banks. Like when you are dealing with AFT from Africa Financial uh, Threats, uh, who are actually going for banking systems and uh, doing transfers and stuff like that, those are, those are called the pin groups. Now, the APTs are the guys who are working. Uh, so one, it could be a defense contracting firm or team. It could be another operation being conducted by a military organization. All of them have what we call uh, the commander's intent so that they can actually execute what they have been given orders to do. And uh, the other one is intelligence organization or other intelligence service or agency, which has an objective or a requirement to meet. It could be a counterterrorism issue. It could be an espionage issue. It depends with the commander's intent when they are given those kind of orders. They are called operation order or opod uh, when doing those kind of operations. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much, uh, uh, Chucks and Labu, for that. So, Chucks, coming straight to you. So, <clears throat> I, I know for part of your career, uh, you worked at uh, the Kenyan uh, Cyber Commander. Uh, can you just share with us, one, how you ended up in, in the Cyber Commander, what your role was, uh, uh, just for guys to get context as we uh, dive deeper into this, uh, without, of course, revealing anything that will uh, have us spending a few days uh, on Kiambu Road. <laughs> Roger that. <laughs> now, uh, before I came back, I was working with, uh, with uh, NATO. Uh, I was just an operator. I, I can't go much to that right now on a public uh, discussion. But uh, when I was in Kenya, there was a PS called Bitagen Demo. Uh, I was supposed to go back, supposed to work from Bahrain. And uh, Bitagen Demo called us. He called a lot of people, actually. I think a lot of guys who are here, some of them were in that meeting. That was 2013, and he went there around 6-ish, and the meeting started from 7 in the morning. And Bitagen Kimo Kimo told us, told us, we have a very huge problem in cyber, especially right now as we go to the to the to elections, and uh, we really need to into how we can develop the capability for the country. And he gave us a small assignment, assignments to look at, and... Uh, I gave them uh, some notes, especially the guy who was in charge, who was in charge of super command. He was called Iska Hodo. And uh, there was this documentation we were supposed to write on how the strategy is supposed to be conducted for capability to build CNO uh, capability for the country. Uh, CNO is part of what you call computer network operations, part of a, um, a vector or rather and it's part of the uh, it's part of what you call the IO uh, doctrine. The IO doctrine is what you call the information operations. It's the upgrade of information uh, in security uh, because before we had what you call computer security, then it went to information security, and now we are in the level of what you call the information operations. So it's actually a doctrine used by governments to counter and uh, to use offensive capabilities for their own uh, for countries. So it came to a point where in 2013 decided we build a um, the cyber command and was going to be having an office or a housing in uh, in ICTA or, or other ICTs in, in MYC. And our job was to bring up to counter threats that are coming for the country. And the amazing thing is that uh, one of the biggest um, biggest threats we had was the Chinese because they were so audacious. They were not even using OPSEC. I think they're using one of those backgrounds in uh, PLA or rather the, or rather the, the Chinese uh, military organization for cyber. And uh, these guys were hacking uh, the government from server level. 
like the way you used to do back in the days where you work <laughs> when you want to break into an organization back in the days you go through the website and then you go to the work groups and stuff like that so that's what we're doing they're doing the same thing because gcn by default if you have ever worked the government gcn is so flat that if you are sitting in myct you can reach deputy president's machine from the office or of myct or if you are actually in uh, in uh, dci and you're connected to gcn you can connect to immigration office gcn which is very very bad and so um our job was to find ways of defending the nation on cyber on cyber domain or rather the information domain back then to us the cyber domain and um, we had to build this the, the team and the cap- cap- capability to do so and one of the main things that were requested was to counter government uh, or rather other nation collecting intelligence from the government office and because that was the highest uh, the highest part of espionage and the problem we had more was other fighting uh, the cyber command team or fighting the new the new uh, idea for building that capability and uh, it was a little bit stressful because when you work with uh, other nations like overseas you work with the government overseas you'll find that there is cohesion and uh, by that time is when we were having uh, the change of from uh, Kibaki to the new president which was uh, President Kenyatta uh, back in 2013 and that's how cyber command was started and the main thing was to build the capability for DCO, which is uh, defensive cyber op- cyberspace operations, and also OCO, which is offensive cyberspace operations. And we succeeded too, because I remember back in 16, we had almost uh, almost 200, almost 102,000 implants built. <laughs> implants are what you build, what you use for operations during collection of intelligence. And we had countered several, including Iranians, including Americans, including uh, European nations, including Chinese including actually Pakistan and South Africa, who were actually trying in access or collecting intelligence from our government infrastructure. So it was a little bit uh, hectic. Yeah, but it, it was done. Yeah. Thank you. Saksa, uh, Ch- thank you uh, so much for that. So just uh, building on top of that. So basically from way back 2013, uh, we can more or less, I believe, confidently say that, one, government was aware that other entities, uh, state or state sponsored, uh, were trying to get uh, intelligence or valuable information uh, from our network. Now, just jumping back to now the Reuters report, you already mentioned that one, uh, threat actors or actors from the Chinese government were already doing whatever they were doing back then. So my question will be, given the extent and for how long this was happening, actually it's not a question, well, technically it is a question, Based on that particular context, and uh, Labu, you are more than uh, welcome to chip in on this, uh, based on what Chuck has said, and based on uh, what routers also shared, what will be your feedback uh, on that whole topic? One, uh, I think majority of guys were interested in, was that report a true reflection uh, of our current state of affairs? Now, that might be hard to say or to tell. Secondly, why will a threat actor from China be interested in knowing our debt uh, obligation to the same government. My assumption here will be even speaking from an untechnical person, the, the Chinese government already knows how much the country owes it. So why will they send uh, well, threat actors uh, to the same country to more or less get the information that they already have? Is there something you're not missing? Are we missing out? Or 
that is actually how that happens. All right, let me try to answer that. Thank you, uh, Lawrence. Uh, let me try to get into that. Uh, the thing about, I read the Reuters report and uh, they did not stick uh, into the facts that actually uh, they could have, but the amazing thing is they had uh, someone from this company in the US, I forget the name of that company, um, what was it called? Uh, who had access to at least some uh, infrastructure or other uh, packets or network. So one thing I'm going to, to actually specify, there's this point where they talked about gaining access to NIS server uh, or other email server. The amazing thing is that the server they were talking about most likely it's a mail.nisgo.ke. I hope so, because uh, that's the one that people, a lot of people know is the main mail server for National Intelligence Security Service or rather National Intelligence Service. But uh, that's just another, by the way, for info art, support art, customer care art, stuff like that. That's not the, the one you would expect uh, a service use running operation to have. They have 10 or even 11 or 20 mail servers which are used for covert communication or rather comcov. And uh, obviously, recruitment or any or during asset handling field, they will not the name the main servers have to use an operation level server because, like, if you look at it, let's say you are you actually communicating with an asset within Somalia, you don't use such a, a such a type of communication for uh, for an intelligence or a, rather intelligence collection activity. You will build maybe a server about yoga, and that server about yoga will have a hidden. Uh, window where an asset who's in the middle of an operation can actually log in and type a message so that even if he is caught with a phone, no one, no, no one will be wise at the airport or wherever he's supposed to be at if he's caught. And uh, that's how uh, services or intelligence services work uh, all over the world. So for me, uh, as far as this report from Reuters is that uh, a lot of it, what you call hubub <laughs> in matters of uh, security or other speculation. And uh, it wasn't fully direct, but uh, at least there's some things they said which were real, because obviously any government or any other military uh, or other intelligence service will try to collect from the government. I remember in 2014, because now it's like uh, 10 years, that means classification for most part of the operation is classified. In training, whenever I'm training Kenyans, I usually talk about it. In 2014 and 2013, uh, 2013-2014, China was trying to was trying to collect uh, Ministry of Foreign Affairs, and uh, the, but the, funny thing, the funny thing is that China by that day thought uh, Kenya doesn't have to, uh, to defend its own infrastructure, so they were just giving us the beginner PLA operators to run operational when they're dealing with a Kenyan or maybe an African uh, nation during uh, cyber operations. And uh, what they had done is that they had brought the web server. And they had put a very weird web shell. It was uh, an old Linux box. And uh, it had this, uh, this vulnerability for, for WordPress. I don't remember what it was, because that was back in 2013 when we were doing the analysis. And uh, they had finished collecting, because the main thing was to collect uh, emails, collect documents uh, from different floors, because each floor goes to the highest office. And they had to be collecting for almost one year. And uh, according to the analysis of how we did, how we, we checked on the analysis, and uh, they were so satisfied that they, they received a new order. They realized that when on the ministry, you can actually be able to be in a position to collect, uh, to reach the other networks. And that's how it worked. You figure out there's something going on and these guys are coming for something. There's something going on from, from foreign affairs. And uh, that's when it started investigating because what they did was that they were so, uh, what can I say without insulting them? They were so audacious and they were so not trained well. They were fully doing like high crazy and map scans, all the ministry department and agencies, MDAs, that are connected to GCN to find machines that they can use 
or they can exploit further for collection. And the amazing thing is that by the time we found them, um, they realized because I remember they was called in for a meeting, Chinese ambassador, and uh, he was called in and he was reprimanded by the, the highest level as possible from the, from the Kenyan government. And uh, I remember immediately he was told and he went back to the embassy, attacks stopped. But they did not stop, actually, in real life. What happened is that uh, China realized the cow. Kenya has the to pick up uh, normal level of CNO operations in the network. So what do we do? Let's change this operation, better tactical level of our Chinese military uh, cyber operations. And after that, everything changed. Such that we, this time, instead of having people conducting operations from uh, email level or web server level, they were now deploying command and control capability to collect. And I remember in 2015, no, 2016, we found them in a different office, but this time they had a server in New United And when you you tried to log into the server, they had made a, bit, a very weird mistake. Actually, uh, was on Windows 2013 and server, and uh, the username when you do RDP, because back in the days when you do RDP, you do R desktop on uh, on a Linux or online, and you put the, the address of the machine, it shows you the language of the C2 or rather the language of the <laughs> of the OS, and you could see that it's actually my actually uh, Chinese tables and all that stuff, and. Uh, we knew at that time that uh, the collection was actually uh, from China. So the thing is that uh, right now when anyone says that uh, China is collecting email level, like uh, what they specify in that report, I think that was much more of speculation. It doesn't work like that anymore. And anyone who is trying to do that is actually trying to make sure that they are caught. And one thing you have to understand about military and intelligence operations is that the main, main thing about the operation that without actually looking at objectives, is never get caught. Make sure you are as quiet, as still as possible, so that you can stay in your, object, your objectives and you can meet your requirements. Because the commander's intent, when you write that thing called the core or the of action, the commander's intent is supposed to be met. Because if you don't meet it, you are in trouble as far as an employee or other or an operator a military or leadership or a military leader in that organization, you are going to be in trouble when it comes to the commanders, commander coming after you if you don't meet uh, what in question. So uh, there's some things in that report which do not match in how on how PLA would actually run an operation in Kenya. Well, uh, Shaks, I thank you so much for that. Labu, <clears throat> moving next to you, uh, still on that route as a report, I think Shaks has basically in a very diplomatic and polite Ways said uh, 80% stories are Jabba, 20% were onto something. Now, when a threat actor, specifically even an APT, gains access to a system, to a, an asset that actually has a, a useful information uh, from research, well, if you have done it, <laughs> please don't publicly acknowledge you've done it. But what are the typical things that APTs will typically uh, look for? in order for them to meet uh, the objectives, or as Chuck says, uh, uh, commander's objective? Uh, thank you, Lawrence, for that question. Uh, now, when it comes to that, of course, it all depends on what are uh, the commander's uh, objectives in terms of what are the full uh, target uh, goals. So if it's something like, if it's a, as you mentioned, if it's an APT, they might be looking into sort of something on intelligence. So of course, any, any piece of information, be it from files, so these would be documents that are stored on the on, on the system that has been compromised, 
or perhaps on uh, shares that are within that network that the system uh, exists in. So the capability to be able to at least get access to files that may contain any of these sense information. So that's on the intelligence gathering aspect. And then, of course, if even when it comes to now the whole CONOP operation objectives, whereby maybe they need to move deeper into the network to access other systems, so they might be having the objective of even getting credentials uh, through access of uh, either vulnerabilities that may exist within other assets on the network, or uh, by even maybe scrapping uh, credentials from within the memory of the machine that has been compromised, or on uh, various softwares, like you know how people may save passwords on their browsers. So all that is part of the operations, and it will all be dependent on what their final objective is. Yeah, thank you. Uh, uh, thank you so much, Labu, for that. Just uh, picking up on this, and I think this will be uh, general advice from you or recommendation from you to not only guys who might be targeted, but just standard users. Uh, if you're an APT and uh, you, I wanted to make your hard, uh, sorry, your life hard or your operation hard once you gain access to my machine. What are those? What recommendations can you uh, put across and just share, just to ensure that even if as an individual, as an, an organization, or even a government entity, your machine is compromised. What can you do to safeguard yourself, protect yourself to best capabilities? Uh, maybe I'll tackle that uh, first. Uh, so from even what the whole subject matter of this talk is about when we talk of intelligence and information gathering, at the end of the day, uh, I mean, uh, as a core aspect of uh, having leverage over your opponents or people you want to understand what they're doing, the more information you have on someone, the better you are prepared to have uh, either the next uh, act task of action so that you can now be a better either offense or, or defend against that. So now that's at intelligence level, which what APTs might be looking out for. Now it comes back down to a granular level again when you look at your own self, because the same way, the more you have information you have about what's going internally within you and what you are aware of is what you can better protect. So now, if you're looking at the asset of, let's say, uh, just an operating like a user's workstation, we have uh, the ability to access uh, logs through the event viewer. Uh, our most operating systems already generate logs to, so that uh, engineers can either access these to you know, debug and uh, be able to uh, improve their code. So the same thing can be used to understand what sort of malicious uh, actions could be happening on a system. So let's take an example whereby uh, some form of malware has been uh, placed into a system and it will stick to uh, the context of a Windows operating system right now. So if that malware runs, there may, there may be certain actions that we will do. We we'll probably try and spawn a new process and inject some code into it. That's just one tactic that it could use. Now, if you have the awareness that these are certain tactics that uh, these uh, malware would uh, do on the system, you have now the ability to understand what sort of events you want to track to be able to understand if that malware runs on your system. So the more granular you can get down to the sort of events uh, or logs that your system can generate, uh, it will give you the visibility to understand uh, what to look out for when these uh, ma malicious artifacts run on systems. So 
it's all about understanding, being aware of your assets and what you're exposing yourself to, and then how you can granularly look into what sort of telemetry you can pull out from that system and uh, ingest that data. Uh, thank you, Labu. Uh, yes, Chucks. Thank you, Labu. Maybe I can add it, Labu. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Uh, Chucks. Uh, yep. Yeah. No, actually, before you do that, mm-hmm. let me add a bit of context. So, uh, we talked of uh, what? <clears throat> Ministry of Foreign Affairs. So, hypothetically speaking, let's assume we have a high ranking official from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs uh, in this uh, session, in this space. And tomorrow, so they have heard all of these, they're surprised, like, what? So, Kumben Kubayas, and this is what happens. So, tomorrow they're going to the office, they go to their IT guy or security guy. What questions should they be asking? All right. Uh, the problem you have uh, in Kenya right now, or rather, not just Kenya, but actually, actually uh, all over the world is connected on how cyber works. A lot of people don't understand that uh, cyber as information domain is a warfare domain that can be used by any country to operate for collection of intelligence or for disruptions or any other intent meant by the president or by the presidency or by the country's leadership. So obviously, if you ask an IT guy to tell you what's wrong, the IT guy will never tell you what's wrong. He'll be thinking about, oh, uh, we have a service spot open which you have blocked. But maybe that service spot was needed for the mail server. So that's the problem we have. Then they'll go ahead and say, oh, we don't have a firewall. We don't have uh, a router or something that's protecting these two days or someone actually given out... Uh, a wireless, it depends with the scenario. So they'll keep asking about all this. Can we change our antivirus? You do all that. But remember, the operation is being done by military and intelligence services from that country. No matter what you throw at, you're dealing with a military or intelligence service that has money, you can't defeat. They'll come for you with whatever they have. Because one thing, for anyone who has been class uh, to do intelligence services or work with them, or has been classed with military, military operations or military people unit or has worked with them, knows that the first thing, even as a law, law enforcement officer, the first thing you're trained about your target is that you know that this target is a human being. You are dealing with high-skilled AI, someone who has, that, who has a, his form of type of intelligence to actually conduct what the brain tells them to do. So the thing is this, when you're dealing with an adversary, because one thing as China, Let's say, let's say I, I call myself part of PLA, MFA, or any other organization appointed to look at, they are my adversary. They are not my friends. I'm given an order to penetrate and gain access to that piece of information that they need to make the decision tomorrow or next day. That decision could be diplomatic. Like now, you could have an issue whereby uh, we have a decision that needs to be made about uh, where do we our base of operations in Africa. So what do you, what is APLA told to gain access or embassy for every African nation around the world? Collect as much as you can, bring it to us, we put it on our AI, we chunk the data and we figure Ajax, out which country. I'm not sure yeah. if you're able to hear you. Yeah, can you hear me? I'm lost. Uh, can you hear me? Is my speaker up? Ah, yes, okay. I probably it was an issue on my end. Yes, sorry, please right. proceed. As I was saying, they'll crunch all that data uh, after they collect it, and then they'll make a decision where they can put their, their, their base of operations so that maybe they can run an operation that they are actually conducting in Congo, maybe because of some demos or something like that. So every decision you find military or intelligence you're making that has to do with cyber or has to do with formation domain, it's usually very, very hard to protect yourself. Again, it's an organization which has billions of dollars committed 
for that operation. When your budget is 10,000 shillings per day or 10,000 shillings per month. And uh, so protect yourself from military, <laughs> you have to think at that level of uh, of the capability. That's why I remember that uh, there's a time when you, I was talking to the, the banking center in Kenya, and we were dealing that time what you call the African financial threats. Uh, the amazing thing about African financial threats was that is that, uh, or rather even the FIPS, is that they are very, very noisy. Uh, they don't care about whether they are caught or not. Their main job is to make sure that they're able to steal as much money as possible or execute as much ransomware as possible. So at that time, I was telling them uh, there are so some banks who didn't have the kind of financial capability to counter or to build um, SOC, um, SOC is the security operation center, uh, CDOC is a cyber defense operation center, which is a very big difference, which I can explain later. And uh, I was telling uh, Kenya Banking uh, Association that uh, we need to join together all these banks uh, to be in a position to counter threats, because some of the banks might have a smaller budget when the guys who are coming for them have more money. Uh, to be able to be capabilities to, uh, to penetrate the banks. So my my answer is this. When you're dealing with uh, starting, first of all, for you to be able to know how you are going to defend yourself, you have to have to identify whether this is a fin group or whether this is an APT. If you are dealing with APT and you figure out this is military, uh, the first thing you do is maybe shut down and disconnect everything because that's the only way they can deter, you can deter the execution or the operation. Even if you do that, remember, most of the operators who are working for military might have what you call an asset in play. Or rather, we call them, during operations, we call them penetration assets in a way that uh, you'll have someone on standby as an informant or as a human uh, operator on target, helping or rather supporting the online operation that's already going on. So... Uh, defending against military and against intelligence services who are well budgeted is really very hard. It requires a different level of um, countering. But when you're dealing with a fin group, that's usually very easy. Figure out how they do spear phishing, uh, which kind of which which user opened it, and how far are they with their lateral operations on the network, and you can actually be able to stop them cold. But military and intelligence services, that's a different altogether. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much, Chucks. Uh, I don't know if there's anything you want to add. Uh, the is gone. Okay, probably join. So, Achaks, that's building on top of that. I, I, I know during our discussion, uh, and this has come up um, multiple places, uh, the role of contractors. So, uh, just for context, yeah. uh, when you talk of uh, superpower cybersecurity, some of the countries that have, a, have a, some advanced capabilities, uh, US, Russia, China, North Korea, debatable, uh, are at the top, are at the apex uh, when it comes to that. Apex, I recall yeah. a few years back, uh, and this is a public story, uh, some contractors are from the U.S. were contracting for uh, an Arab-based nation. Uh, what started off as a training uh, turned into a full uh, espionage a campaign where these contractors were now being used to exploit, hack other countries, even go further and hack citizens within that particular uh, country. Uh, from my experience, and just bringing it home to the uh, Kenyan context, East African context, uh, did you come across contractors? Uh, is this something that is currently happening in our uh, ecosystem? And uh, how was this uh, being dealt with? So being dealt with in the manner of, we have foreign contractors uh, we need to be aware of. We have. Uh, uh, I'll say homegrown contractors that 
are contracting out there, we need to be uh, aware of. And just to throw this uh, in the works, I've had this in multiple uh, circles that Nairobi specifically is a hub of spies, uh, contractors, uh, and all those uh, shadow figures that don't typically uh, come out uh, in the light of day. Uh, what are your thoughts, feedback, and uh, uh, just your experience when it comes to this. All right, I'll try to be a, as candid as possible on this one without uh, exploiting uh, things that are supposed to be uh, not aired out there. Uh, but anyway, let me try my best. So we all know about the story about UAE and also the contracting firm that was uh, trying to build the capability for UAE because UAE is one of the countries which is ahead when it comes to information uh, operations. And uh, they really needed to look at it because of counter-cyber uh, counter operations and also counter-terrorism, uh, which are a big level of it is done on cyber these days because uh, a lot of terror groups and a lot of uh, other organizations are using cyber uh, to do really bad things for a real uh, physical issue or incursion starts. Um, so what happens in cyber is that right now, even in Kenya, uh, it's something that uh, we are thinking about uh, whenever I talk to people who are in charge uh, of this. The thing we have, one thing is how we pay our people. Like now you find uh, uh, an officer who has just uh, joined a cyber division, I won't say which ones in Kenya, uh, let's say maybe a military. Uh, he might be getting paid maybe, uh, maybe even less than 100K. And uh, he is being trained for the next three years on how to run operations, either DCO or OCO. And he becomes very good and realizes that the pay I'm getting um, is very little compared to what Buckley may be offering me or Absa may be offering me to go there to be their defense uh, operator or the offensive operator, because obviously you did both even when you're in banking. And he realizes now, because I've been trained for four years, uh, under the with the, using a Kenyan um, tax uh, or tax to train him, he leaves <laughs> the military and joins Absa Bank. Absa Bank, and uh, he is uh, now part of the private sector, and that does not military. And then you find maybe like in twenty four, uh, there is a, a fight, uh, or rather, uh, military people are killed at Al by Al Shabaab at El Dade. So all you remember that. And uh, you, can't, you don't have anyone in DOD or DMI or any other organization that can shut down the websites that are actually images of soldiers being killed. And um, you see there, you realize we have trained people for the last 10 years, since 2007. We have been training people on how to shut down websites that jihadis are used to showcase killing of our, of our soldiers. So you wonder, where are all these soldiers we trained since 2007? Then when you look at the names, you realize, oh my God, all these guys, some of them are working in uh, in Australia, others are working in Europe, <laughs> working in the US, all that, all that went away. And that's a problem that Israel, Americans, and Europeans have been having. You're training someone for several years, then they are gone. So what's the key? Is how do you how do you deal with this aspect whereby we are left with negative, even after using all our taxpayers' money to train our officers in operations? Uh, so how do we get these guys back into the table? And that's how defense contract came up. So you find the, 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 the government will try its best to open companies uh, which are going to staff with people leaving military or intelligence services to come work in the private sector, but they are still attached to the military or to the intelligence services, but the pay they are getting is the same as anyone who is in the private sector. And that's what you find if you have looked at Operation Tsipani, 8% of the people who ran that operation came from the private sector to join NSA as part of that operation during the counter uh, IC on cyber uh, for that operation, OGS, OGS or Growing Symphony, Operation Growing Symphony. Uh, that was back in 2016 by Cyber Command in US. So 
The key is this, when Israel is doing, pick up the guys, military who are already trained, join them in the defense contracting. Then this defense contracting, since it does not only work for this country, they get contracted with jobs and other jobs outside country in a way that, uh, like now, you can have uh, maybe an organization in Congo that's having a need with something, and they'll hire people from this defensive contracting firm in Nairobi that is actually, they actually it is not yet announced that they are part of the military, and they go inside there and they help with the of what the request is all about. So defense contractor is a very, it's one of the advantageous way of keeping people who have already been trained in military or who have been trained in intelligence services to keep them in a in the table or rather near you in a way that is an emergency. They can laterally move from the defense contractor and join him back into the organization they were in from for a special circumstance that they need to deal with at that time. That way, we never get to lose uh, talent. As they say right now, when it comes to information uh, domain, the biggest cyber war we have right now is the war to keep talent or the war for talent. And uh, that's how, actually, that's how cyber or other defense contracting firms came about. Because it started back in the days during the, during the, 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 the land, actually during what you call um, these other physical operations, whereby you're having people going like now the war in Iraq, where um, you needed contractors and uh, maybe you have high trained level operators and you don't have any more of those, but you have to go now to defense contracting teams to actually pick up people from there so they can join forces in Iraq. So the same thing is happening right now a lot in cyber, where talent is going to the to the civilian uh, aspect of, uh, of, of uh, organizations when uh, military and uh, intelligence services are being left with a hole. And uh, the, I think uh, building a defense contracting capability, even in the country, is going to be very, very, very important. I hope uh, that answers everything I've uh, tried to speak about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it does. Huh? So just be, uh, proceeding the uh, discussion, uh, Pegasus. Uh, I think a Pegasus, uh, one chance, not to preempt you, share more of what Pegasus is, what's, uh, how nation states have used it or abused it. Then importantly, uh, one of the reasons why I brought up Pegasus is uh, in I've seen it coming up in a majority of WhatsApp group. So guys, at this Pegasus, you need to be aware of. And we, we, when you listen to the professionals discussing Pegasus, there's a, uh, there's a corner that is basically telling you, look, Lawrence, uh, you're not worth the effort or the salt for Pegasus to be installed on your device. Uh, basically, you're not a valuable threat. You are not an asset that might be targeted for this. Then there's that other corner telling you, look, it's a hacking device. You will be targeted. So what I'm just coming at is, uh, when you talk over this uh, hacking at a state level, should everyone be worried or only people who meet a certain criteria uh, should be worried? All right. Let, let me start with the, the Pegasus part. Um, Pegasus, just like any other implant, uh, was, uh, was built by people who are working for defense contracting organization or, or firm. The thing is that Israel ha had realized that they are losing from Unit 8200 and Mossad, and so they realized that, and also IDF, and they realized that these people are really retrained and you're losing their private sector. What do we do? And uh, they started now doing defense contracting organizations, uh, mostly for soldiers, just like uh, the US. Then uh, early 2000, they started realizing, oh God, we are losing people who know cyber stuff to US companies like Google and everyone. <laughs> and uh, uh, what do we do about this? So they started now what you call 
uh, surfaced and uh, budgeted organization being sprung up in Tel Aviv and other, other places so that they can support the national security uh, for Israel uh, as part of uh, defense contracting, but on cyber. And that's how Pegasus came up. Uh, also, there are so many because there are also others. It's like, uh, there's another one called, uh, I'm forgetting, there's so many in Israel. And they, are, they usually visit Kenya a lot to try to sell uh, software. Um, the thing is that uh, Pegasus is very expensive. And one of the main things that Pegasus was built was that because uh, Israelis realize they, have, they are very good things, they realize that they have other countries who are so corrupt, they are not able to start this risk. Because you see, this capability requires engineering. And whenever you try to engineering and you bring political aspect of that engineering to, uh, to something you're trying to contravance, uh, it gets lost in the translation because uh, everyone uh, is like, uh, discovers here there's money, let's come and And that's the same thing that happens in Kenya when they try to build uh, organizations which can do that. I'm not going to speak about that right now. I know uh, I know how people here who know uh, what I'm talking about. And uh, so when it comes to Pegasus, Israel realized there is uh, that gap. So how do we fill that gap? We can make a lot of money from that gap. Like they are looking like Moldova. They're like, Moldova doesn't have such bad tough problems with the uh, with, uh, people who live there. They are called distant. Then they look into something like uh, Nigeria. They're like, oh, we have people there who are protesting in the government. We can sell this software, have the, the money to spend. And uh, we can also work with people because they're corrupt. And uh, we can get kickbacks. And uh, we can make money out of this. And that's how... Pegasus was being sold. But the problem is that uh, I think uh, for every target, you have to buy a license uh, for that target or other to be to be penetrated. And for a government to actually target you with Pegasus, to think, is it okay for us to spend another 100, one, one means or some amount of money to target this guy? He must be a high priority target for us to actually use Pegasus that you've bought for millions and millions of shillings or millions and millions of rad or millions and millions of Brio, because you know Brio is the Ethiopian one, because I mean, the Ethiopians are the, they're the cousins of uh, Israelis, and they buy a lot of products from Israelis, including trainings. Um, do we need to use all this money to actually target this guy? He must be a very important target for us, to actually for us to certify that it's okay to use this amount of money to have alliances that uh, allows us to target this year, this uh, target. So for anyone to be targeted by Pegasus, you have to be very, very important. Now, that goes round now for, to now national defense operation. Uh, like, uh, I'll go into the something here. Like, uh, in Cyber Command, uh, the one for MYT that we had built, uh, we were tasked to building as many implants as possible, as many softwares as possible, because uh, when you're conducting operations, there are several stages for operations. So you have to think about uh, which kind of dropper are you going to use, which type of loader are you... And also, there are three types of implants that are built. There's one which is called the OPE implant. The OPE implant is what you call the operational preparation of environment. That's the implant that actually builds the intelligence on a target and what you're going to use for the next phase of the operation. Then you have the next is called the actions on implant. This is the one that collects screenshots, streaming the desktop or streaming the, the, streaming the phone. It's collecting information from your phone or collecting information from your computer. That's data, doc, all that stuff. It's, uh, you can also be doing what you call cloning. Cloning is actually very important if you have encrypted uh, uh, stuff that uh, requires some form of location between server and your endpoint. Uh, also webcam streaming or webcam collection. Also, there's something which is very, very important in intelligence services and also in military. That is the microphone. The microphone, when, whenever you are, you're in a meeting, and actions on implant is on your device, people are going to be recording and collecting all that, all those audio so that they can go further and analyze if there is a threat. 
And uh, the other type of implant you hear that military intelligence services we use is called the housekeeping implant. I don't know if anyone has seen the Chinese implant that was called the, the BFF uh, filter something uh, implant. That's an example of a housekeeping. Housekeep. But most of the intelligence services and most of the military, inter, inter, uh, military operations, they use a housekeeping implant that will have a certain level amount. It goes to sleep, then maybe on that year or which month, it checks, hey, do you need me? Connecting. If you don't need, if you are not needed, it goes back and shuts down itself, and that's what's about the housekeeping implant. So it depends with the objective, the commander, or rather, what the commander's intent when you are building the the core or course of action to actually know whether they are which type of tool they are going to use on a certain target, and that's where we come. Something called conops or concepts of operation. When you are building your conop documentation. It has to verify what the operation order was, to call the OPOD. If it maps to what the operations have been for you to actually be certified as a target, then they use whatever tool they have on their arsenal for that operation. I hope uh, that clarifies the uh, uh, spectrum for that type of uh, attack or collection. Yeah, it does that. So what I gather is uh, when you're talking of state-led hacking, not everyone is targeted uh, in most cases. Uh, at yeah, times, yeah. it's all about a matter of uh, are you valuable and uh, is targeting you justifiable also from a costing uh, point of view. So I think yeah, there's there, there, there also something we, we call a collateral targeting uh, whereby you are used for the next target. Uh, maybe I can give an example of an operation we did, if uh, that's okay. Of course. Yeah, so we had this target who was very, very important uh, just uh, before the elections. And this guy was uh, connected to some very bad guys uh, planning some very bad things for the country. And uh, he had switched himself from normal Windows to Mac and he had hardened them. And uh, he had some machines in a place, I won't say where. And uh, the funny thing is that his secretary, uh, or rather his, some of the people he worked with, uh, one of them was not so secure. So sometimes they would borrow uh, what you call wireless from the neighbor of the office if their wireless is not working so that they can actually be able to send emails and stuff. So what he did was that he compromised the other office so that uh, we can wait for the day when they'll use that Wi-Fi and it happened. We jumped now from that from that company who had really compromised <laughs> to gain access to their network. And... Uh, uh, which means that they were collateral to the next cliched CNE for collection. It happens in, in a lot of operations where you have to use someone who is to actually go to the main target. Actually, even in human intelligence operations or human team operations on the ground, you'll use someone who is actually uh, innocent as collateral to gain access to the next person, like a maid. Like if you want to collect information from a guy who is locked up in a house to see what's going on, and uh, you don't have any way to penetrate in, you can pay a maid, and the pay maid will go in and do whatever you have paid her for. Because obviously, those of the maids are not paid, or other housekeepers are not paid so well. So if you tell her, we'll give you 100000 you go and drop this listener to his office when you're cleaning, and you're going to pay you if you do it. And they do it. And that's the same way uh, cyber operations work. So you find that uh, sometimes you can be a collateral, uh, innocent uh, bystander. You are compromised. Yeah. Uh, very good you actually brought that up. Uh, because I think uh, when you talk of uh, state-led hacking, it's not all about the technical hacking as a um, majority of us or a few of us might be aware of. Exactly. Uh, there are different cases that are, there are different ways a state can, can use. And uh, I know for quite some time, uh, I don't think there's a better example, Russia has been known to groom people, send them to the U.S., and these guys are basically actors, uh, 
assets and are used to undermine various controls in there. I remember reading that story uh, from a Russia point of view, and I, I believe the US did a lot of uh, deportation and made a few guys up persona non persona non, non something. They are, they're, called, they're called the, the illegal. Oh, okay. And then uh, a few years or months back, I saw something similar happening from a, a NATO point of view, uh, where we had uh, this specific lady who did a very elaborate scheme so that he, she could end up having access to uh, sold, sorry, assets working within NATO. I don't know. Uh, and given that the fact that you have also worked uh, for NATO, as you mentioned before, uh, can you share additional context from that particular angle where you are not targeting the technical IT side of cyber, but now you are going through uh, a human asset to infiltrate and uh, uh, meet your objectives? I'll, I'll try to be uh, as direct as on this one because it's going to be very, very important for me to actually answer this. Um, when you're dealing with, when you're actually working in an organization and you had the attack, uh, there's a reason why you know whether the AP is the one coming after you or it's a fin group. Fin group, you just use the common ways of trying to get into it. They are the kind of, uh, we call it Bahatisha in Kiswahili. Uh, it's more about finding a, a place. I don't know what, what's the English word for that. And But in military, they don't care about that. What they want to find means and all the ways possible to gain access to the target. And um, that's why you find that uh, uh, there's something called the uh, bladed ops. In a way, bladed ops, uh, what you're doing is that you're combining all aspects of domains of operation. It could be um, ground it, or land, it could be air, all of that. You're combining all of them, your objective. And that's what happens if we're dealing with people like Russians against the NATO or NATO organizations or NATO uh, NATO countries. Uh, they have the the illegal network. The illegal network they only train how to move and and uh, to pretend to be someone who they are not. Like now you can look at the illegal coming in as someone they or they, they actually use someone like SVR who has information about someone who died and then they, uh, the 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 information for that so they can get certificate of uh, death uh, removed from the system. And then you come in as a, 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 with that name of that, of that person who died in U.S., but now you are here, but you actually pretend to be him. Now, that's, uh, that's how they actually find way an illegal, illegal ne illegal's network. And um, they have done this, this in so many NATO countries. Uh, it's uncountable. Uh, it's one of the objectives since Cold War uh, to actually have illegals in a country for collection. The amazing thing is that uh, illegals are not as effective as another group of spies that do uh, crazy operations. These are called the sparrows and the swallows. I don't know if anyone has ever heard of this. <laughs> this uh, they're usually most women. Uh, swallows are the ones who entice you, the smiles, dressing cool, all that stuff. They collect, yeah, but they are collecting. They can be actually uh, try to connect themselves to someone who is powerful, or maybe a, a CS, a PS, and they'll befriend you and you'll be giving them information in a bar that you didn't even, you didn't even know you are and they actually just collect. Then you have the sparrows. Sparrows is the sexual capability of a beautiful woman to connect and collect information from you. When you're sleeping, after all that action, you'll go to your computer and add something to your computer and then you'll actually have the people on cyber, maybe from FSB or SVR, will actually be collecting now from your computer directly after she has already done her part. So cyber, when it comes to warfare capability, or rather intelligence collection, military and energy services will use all levels of domain to go after you. So even if you shut down your computers, they'll have someone who come and do something else to make sure your computer comes up, right? And uh, actually, that's how it works, because uh, 
That's how organizations, they are trained. One thing you'll be trained when you go to intelligence services, one thing you'll be trained when you go to, to military is that you always work as a team. You don't work as a lone wolf. Lone wolves are only in hacktivism. Hacktivism is not for the government. It's for hacktivism. But when it comes to military and intelligence services, it's always teamwork. So, and they always combine all levels of domains in warfare and intelligence collection to actually uh, meet their requirements and objectives. Yeah. All right. Chucks, thank you so much. So as we come to a tailwind uh, of these chucks, one, I, I would like you to share some closing remarks in regards to why it's important for governments to actually be engaged uh, in this kind of activity. So that will be my first ask. A second ask, I I've heard it mentioned that in uh, at times when your governments and uh, operators are doing this kind of op operation, it's actually possible for you to, to run into other operators from uh, different countries. Uh, I will be interested to know, so you are maybe trying to do what you are meant to do, then you run into an operator from a different country. Do you kick them out? Do you acknowledge each other and uh, continue with the, uh, your objectives? Uh, what's the modus operandi there? Then lastly, you are an author, and I believe right now you have, there's a published book. A second book is in the works. So also, please share that uh, with us as we wrap this up. Copy that. Thank you. Uh, I don't even. I, I think I forgot the first question. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, let me try. Let me try. Good for once, I remember. Uh, the um, maybe. Oh, you want to remind me the first question? Hello? Yeah. So the, the first question was uh, Why is this important? Why oh, yeah, should for the, for the, government, yeah, for the government engaging in this? Yeah. So uh, think about this way. Uh, for military, they have two objectives: intelligence collection and uh, disruption. Like now, let's let's think of this way. Um, we have a lot of dams in Kenya, right? Uh, which are actually big, and they actually uh, kind of man computer systems. And let's say Somalia is like, no, we need to extend our borders to Kenya, and uh, Kenya has to be part of us. Or let's say Uganda tries to do. So what's the first thing they do? They will try to figure out things that they can use disruptors. First of all, they will try to shut down the OGCN, and then that means messing up with. Uh, if mixed, then they will try to, to go after CBK, shut down CBK combination to other banks, and then they will try to do destruction operations on our dams, and then they will try to disrupt uh, Safaricom and, uh, and PESA services, and then uh, disrupt other occasional, other important uh, occasional uh, organizations like wipe, do like send wipers, like imagine wiping C network. That would be because that would cause chaos. Uh, there's, at the time we were talking with government about AFTs, AFTs were gaining access even to the core banking because they would go to the core banking system for the database and that's how they would credit accounts and then uh, reverted back to this and how they, how, that's how they were stealing. So imagine, uh, let's say a government employs also these hackers working, working for AFT to do the same but now white banks. People wake up tomorrow and are like, Oh my God, I can't access my account. Oh my God, my account is not uh, having any money because all the money on the banks was wiped uh, by the attacker. Cause, and that's where we talk about military objective for disruptions. Because when you cause chaos on data level, you won't see the Humvees and the tanks showing up in Nairobi. Because now you're wondering, where is my Mpesa? Where is my bank account? And that is it's very important for government or military organization to have the capability to destabilize a country that they are going or to destabilize an organization 
they are going. All right, let's think about another another way for internal security. Uh, we'll have media houses who are kind of pushing the negative information about the government so that they can destroy the 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 stable uh, the stability of a country. The intelligence services, the military services, you like this is a security problem. So what will they do? They can gain access to that media house, and if that media house continues disrupting the country, that's a wipe. Like now, if you wipe something like, let's say, which is the biggest media house in Kenya, maybe Standard, I think, you wipe KTN, you wipe all the radio stations' data, all the documentaries that were done, or everything they are planning to do for the next uh, few months, that whole company will crumble because they don't have anything to do or to broadcast or showcase on for the next few months, which means they'll have to go back to zero, and which means employees and everyone not be, will not be paid, and salaries and rent will not be paid, all that stuff. So those are things that a government can do to support national security, because if a media house is propagating uh, stories which are untrue so that they can instability in the country, intelligence services and military services have the mandate to destroy infrastructure of that media house without even anyone knowing it's their So as a government or as a military organization, as an intelligence service, the capability for the offensive operation is very, very, very important at this level of information aid. It's a way of countering threats without being known it's you who did it, right? Especially if you want to make sure that um, you meet objective without the public backlash. The other way also, mostly for military, is for you to cause as much havoc as you can when you are actually supposed to now do uh, or conduct ground operations against a target. Let's make a, take an example. Russians used Whispergate. That was back last year in, I think, around March. It was one of the first wipers. Do you know what that wiper was going for? It was going for every immigration infrastructure in Ukraine. So their main issue was to go after Ukraine immigration. So if you have a stamp, information about your your passport is there, you are running away as the bombs are launched in the cave. You're running away towards Lev, then towards the border to, so that you can, you can maybe uh, jump over into Poland or you're maybe you're trying to cross over in Romania. And you are this guy from Africa and uh, your visa information is not available. So you get to the, to the border and you can't cross over. So you have to stay in country and cause as much confusion as possible because you're going there at the border, uh, border check and you find... Um, a queue that is going for kilometers because now what happens is that they're not going to use their computers anymore to grant access to the next country because their whole immigration data is gone. So you find the confusion becomes larger and larger. Then the same other wipers are launched to media, media houses. No one is able to specify, oh, bombs are coming to take shelter because all the media houses are evaporated with a wiper. So those are the objectives that a military organization will meet, including now intelligence collection to understand a threat. So that becomes an important aspect of warfare for any intelligence service, for any government, for any military to contravance and build. Um, I've already forgot the second question because I'm becoming old. But anyway, I remember that question was about... Uh, yeah, remind me, hello. <laughs> so the, the question was that basically when you are conducting operations yep. and uh, you run into another operator from a different country. Oh, exactly. It has happened to me a lot. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the thing is, it depends uh, with the operator on the other side. Uh, an example, uh, let's not say my part doing it, but I have come to a point where we have found America in government uh, banking banks. I, I think we know, I think we have about three banks which are government owned in Kenya. And what happened is that we had a ransomware act in the bank. But as we did DFIR, we found Americans 
that was back in 2015 or 2016, I think. I don't remember. We found Americans collecting Western Union information, but we realized that was some accounting counter terrorism because obviously uh, Al Shabaab and other guys were using uh, Western Union to transfer money to other countries around the world uh, for operations in future, maybe car bombs or SWEST operations. So, um, that is possible. Now, the thing is, uh, when you find something like that, what do you uh, do? You report it, or do you destroy the if you destroy the capabilities, or what do you do? It depends with the objective. It depends with our diplomatic connection between countries. So what you do is that uh, you found Americans, or you found uh, people doing the right thing, like countering a countering a terrorist action. Uh, you might report it to the higher ups, and then the higher ups have to figure out. What are we going to do about this? Do we call Americans and tell them, my friends, you guys are not supposed to do this. Just ask for permission for us to let you this and this and this together as a task. So that one depends. It depends on the scenario. Okay. When it comes to offensive operations and uh, you are in a network, you find, holy, we have other people here. So what do you do? As an operator, I will observe what they are doing before I actually do my next part. So the first thing I'll do is that figure out which is a PSP on the target system and how, which kind of con-ops they use to bypass that PSP. PSP is the personal security uh, protection software, or rather, it's called the protection, personal security protection software, something like that, it's like the, the antivirus. Uh, and uh, yeah, so you try to figure out uh, what is the other, the other party doing? What are they actually going for? So observing that helps you understand, are they good if you are there? or if you actually with them on the network. So you don't destroy their access, because when you destroy their access, they might make noise on the network. And that means if they make noise in the network, you also be found out by the people who are trying to defend the infrastructure. So covert operations are actually, uh, OCO being a covert operation is actually supposed to be, you're supposed to be silent all the time when you're actually running operation with collection of intelligence, depending on the objectives from the commander's intent. And uh, that depends a lot with all that. So, I'm not going to go further in, in that, but uh, because of time, I can see it's already 1934. And I'll go back now to my books directly. Uh, one of the things that I realized that uh, made me start uh, writing books is that I realized uh, talking to two or three people or in a class uh, doesn't make as much impact because uh, we have a very big gap when it comes to cyber and the security of the country. A lot of things are going very wrong. And uh, if we don't educate people, after you have gone through those through, ex through the same experiences, um, what happens is that uh, the same mistakes are made all the time. And that's one, one of the risks I realized that we need to start doing on knowledge transfer. And the best knowledge transfer is by educating people, by giving them examples. Now, the problem is that when I'm training people examples of what I've gone through, and uh, most of the people I train are people military, military services. I rarely train private sector. So obviously in private sector, I cannot be able to release or this is most of the classified if the public. So what's the best way to give examples using classified information reverted back to a storyline? That's fiction. And that's how they started coming out. And the bus, first book being the Confederate. Uh, I remember writing Confederate, uh, Vanessa was in the service for France. And uh, I was talking with some of the guys as, we, as I wrote the first two chapters. That was back in 2021. And they told me, my God, Chuck, this book is going to be very difficult for anyone who is just beginning up. Why don't we change it up to something beginning the level like hack reason? And that's how Confederate was born. It became a hack reason story instead of an intelligence operation, on ongoing CNO operation. And, um, and that's how it is right now. 
Vanessa is a uh, hack together is uh, with his late, with her late boyfriend Alex and uh, they get themselves in in trouble because of hacking to Somalia government and as you know Somalia Kenya Uganda and other East African countries have what you call an intelligence a joint intelligence task force which is used to counter threats that come to Kenya uh, or to any other African African system or other African organization or African uh, government or something like that that's how the confederate was born so I'm now working different book which is now going to be much more real hardcore which actually explains most of this we have discussed here it's going to be in a different series altogether but it's going to be now more military and intelligence service operation in the information domain I hope uh, a lot of that has answered all the questions also get into uh, for the last check yeah sure so uh, so for guys who want to access the confederate uh, where can they access it then uh, lastly Yeah I I know you also received this request for guys who are, in, who are interested in a uh, creating a career path that is uh, aligned or closely tied to military intelligence services what will be your advice and recommendation actually this is an important question that's the first important question i'm going to make sure i take out before i go back to the books uh the amazing thing is this kenya government nipo who can do things uh who can do who can do cyber stuff cause uh, uh we have people who are there but the problem is that those people who are there are what it costs suits are people their job is just to talk and they will google stuff and memorize those things they have good and then come talk about them to the leaders but we don't have on on keyboard operators you know like back in the days we used to talk about uh, the best developers back in the days we used the best developer are what you call the bedroom developers that's the same thing in cyber you find that the guys who talk uh, there a lot like the guys who are always uh, talking much in the media and all that stuff these are what you call people who have copied the internet to come and talk about them but they're not actual operators we need people who can operate you are given a problem yet there's a problem statement that has already been which ideas can we use to build the capability of actually overcome this problem those are the kind of people and we need a lot of people in government who can do that and uh, to join up just over yourself go in and uh, look for a way you can actually get in and when you get in start getting clearances to actually be in a position to work in complex situation and uh, as you do that learn how to actually figure out the people who are doing bullshit and the people who are actually working for nation because 80% of the people who are in government will actually be people. but there are only about 20 to 10% who are actually going to be doing the real work follow those people in the real work because the more good work you do the more you learn and the more you learn the more you become better in cyber because cyber is not a political thing it's math and science and math and science requires research studies a lot of reading and practice and uh, that's what we require for our national defense as far as information domain is concerned all right i think that answers that uh, that question right yeah so, uh, it does yeah. maybe shaks correct me if i'm wrong but just to add on top of that so i i, I know uh, our military the kenya defense forces as recruit specialists and these specialists actually end up doing a lot of cyber things intelligence things so uh, that's an angle that can be considered uh, i know they have an age bracket i think around 20 you have to be uh, less than 29 years old so factor that in mind uh, dci they are forensics people they have computer people our uh, last discussion i had with a dci guy was uh, at the moment you have to be someone in law enforcement so you have to be a cop for you to be to reach or to work basically in that uh, laboratory that's why when you go there you are talking to inspector so and so 
So that's also an angle for guys who want to take the law enforcement point uh, uh, approach. Uh, National Intelligence Service, they do recruit, but I believe from experience their recruitment is uh, very low-key with a lot of uh, mystery going around there. But they actually look for talent. I've been told they proactively look for talent. So that's also an angle you can look into. For NIS, uh, they have a portal that at times is open, at times is closed. You can always submit your CV there uh, if it matches the criteria. Uh, I'm told they typically reach out and uh, I set up a few sessions with you here and there. So for guys who are considering that particular approach, uh, working in, the, in that particular space, uh, that's an opportunity. Uh, something else I've heard from the guys who I've talked to, so a lot of one government uh, law enforcement, KDF, are also looking into avenues, uh, not speaking on their behalf, but just rumors I've heard, they're also looking for more engaging, very fluid avenues to interact with the community. So hopefully, if you're talking to those people, you can influence uh, decisions. Maybe it's something that can be fast-tracked, uh, just to ensure that it's easier for civilians who are interested in uh, contributing back to the nation to get an opportunity to, to contribute if they have passed a specific uh, at threshold. Uh, Chuck's mentioned also uh, third-party entities being formed. I, I know majority of the organizations I've talked about, they have third-party entities that hire contractors out there. So hopefully uh, these third-party entities uh, become public information and uh, a hiring there becomes hopefully uh, more transparent. So Chuck, I just wanted to add uh, that on top of what you've mentioned. If I've errored, please uh, let me know about we can proceed no to talk about the books and uh, we wrap it up. No problem. Uh, the, the, the key mostly, uh, if you want to work with the government, is, uh, is helping out. Just go there and help. Um, then uh, from there, get the connections and rise up, the clearances and rise up and continue all that. And that's how it goes. Uh, it, nothing will come easy in life. Uh, if you want something good, you have to fight for it. All right. Um, about getting books, uh, I, I, uh, you can actually get, you can actually be able to ship uh, from Amazon. It's okay. You can ship directly from Amazon. Uh, sometimes I usually ship uh, several books for everyone and uh, I sign them for people. And like the last uh, few few weeks, I've signed over 150, almost 200 books in Kenya. And um, I'm supposed to sign another 20 next week. I think it's supposed to be for military guys. And... Um, I've already ordered the shipment and it's coming in. But if you want a copy right now, because I don't have any copies remaining with me or on me right now, uh, you can get them from Nuria Kenya. Uh, if you go to nuriakenya.com, uh, you, you can be able to find the, uh, a version of Confederate. Uh, one thing you have to know about Confederate is that it's very simply written in a way that is not complex as what you're going to find in the next intelligence books. Because it's meant to be for people who are just beginning up People want to understand how defense, defensive cyber operations work, uh, how recruitment of assets is actually done by maybe think people like the Kenya police or other DCI organizations like uh, ATPU. By that you mean it's someone called Inspector Letui and how he was able to recruit um, uh, this call girl, uh, this call girl, because this call girl has access to Somalian embassy in Kenya and uh, he was collecting intelligence using her as a penetration asset. Uh, also, it actually, every chapter has uh, a section where if there is a name like an implant, the implant name, uh, that reasoning of how the implant was in the book 
and what it is, it's explained well there. So the book is basically for people who are just beginning up, uh, who want to understand uh, cyber operations, either defensive or defensive. And uh, they are, right now, there are so many copies at Nuria, and uh, you can go and order them. And uh, in, in case uh, you need a copy from me, most likely next, next week, but one, uh, that's when I'll be signing in new copies for... Uh, for other organizations but next week uh, i'm supposed to bring in 20 copies from the mill and uh, i think uh, by because they've already been booked i'll have to go and uh, go sign them and stuff but you can book them and buy them from nuria and they, they, they actually ship in for you uh they and they bring it to your house yeah nuriakenya.com yeah thank you a lot uh, okay uh chucks uh, thank you so much so we have yeah. come to an end of this uh, so i'd just like to appreciate chucks and labu uh one honoring us with their presence and knowledge uh, uh, feedback and uh, uh, experience as far as uh, this, con uh, this is concerned. And also our listeners, uh, thank you so much for always tuning in uh, to this and uh, we hope to continue with this and uh, see you in the next session. With that, thank you so much everyone. Uh, have yourself a lovely uh, rest of the day. As always, this podcast is going to be, uh, this space is going to be uploaded on our podcasting platform. So be on the lookout for that if you missed it. Uh, no worries. If you want to contribute to it, uh, have you have ideas, improvement, feedback, uh, DM me. I'm always open to such feedback to make this uh, grow. Thank you so much, and uh, have a, li a lovely rest of the day. Bye.